Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. This is Terry Wickstrom broadcasting again from our home studio. I'm trying to do our part to maintain social distancing and get through this together. And we will get through this together, folks. It's uh, it's not going to be easy. We're going to have to make sacrifices. Um, but if we make those sacrifices now, we can get through this more quickly. I uh, read a cute quote, or not cute, but a very appropriate quote. It said, uh, our grandfathers went to war. And uh, so we certainly can sacrifice by spending a couple months on the couch. And keep that in mind. I know it gets frustrating. You want to be out doing things. You want things to be open. But remember, our sacrifices are pretty minor, even if they're financial. We'll get through this, and there'll be help. But that's not what we're going to spend the whole day talking about today, that's for sure. There's still outdoor opportunities. We want to make sure you're taking advantage of them properly and that you're um, knowing what there is to take advantage. We're going to talk some fishing. We're going to talk some uh, turkey hunting with Nate in the second hour. We're going to talk a lot of animal interaction during the first hour. And then we'll, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about things like boat ramp etiquette and how to act when you get there to make sure we keep these resources open. If we don't properly address some of these resources, the where we're using them, we could lose them for a long time while we're going through this, and we don't want that to happen. But right now, uh, I want to go right to the phones. And I want to bring up somebody who joins us about about this time every year um, because it's uh, we're so caught up in the coronavirus and COVID-19 that there's other things to be aware of, especially as more of us are getting outside using the trails and walking. So I want to bring up Monica White from, um, I always want to say the Colorado Tick Organization, Monica, but it's uh, that's not the real title. What's the title of the organization? Hi, Terry. Yes, we're a Colorado Tick-Borne Disease Awareness Association. I know it's a mouthful. But no, but it's it's, it's so important. You know, we're we're thinking about the the corona and the covid virus right now and people but people want to get outside, you know, and I guess yesterday there was a new order we're supposed to try to wear masks if we can and maintain our social distancing, but parks are doing everything they can to keep trails and open spaces open. Um, you know, and we're going to talk more about how we can affect that later on. But as more people get out, we're getting to the time of the year when other creatures are getting out. And some of them are kind of small and unnoticeable. And that one in particular that you and I talk about every year is the, the ticks and the, the pathogens and the diseases they can bring to bear. And we need people to be aware of these because especially at times like this, you don't want something else compromising you. And they've become, well, they're a growing issue across the United States. Why don't you kind of bring us up to speed? Right. You know, I mean, there's such a focus on, on health and safety right now with, with COVID-19. And and um, people are spending more time outside, and especially children, um, now that schools are, are closed and, and kids are home, they're spending more time even in their own backyards. And um, as, the you know, the... The temperatures warm up. The risk for tick activity has has definitely increased. And so, um, you know, in, in addition to washing hands and, and keeping social distance, people really need to be aware of um, ticks and and the increasing tick activity and doing tick checks on a regular basis. Um, people are out with their dogs. 
people are are um, hitting the trails, and um, unfortunately, the the risk of ticks and 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 tick-borne diseases has not decreased with COVID. It's it's actually increasing every year. Well, and that's a great point. And I think a lot of people, we do this show every year. We did it more extensively, but we kind of do it as a reminder because tick-borne diseases are, are quite serious. Um, and when you and I started doing this two or three years ago, I was amazed by the number of people I knew that had been affected by not only Lyme disease, but other tick diseases and in quite serious ways. And you can really attest to that. What are some of the diseases carried by ticks and how, how devastating are they? You know, Lyme disease is, is definitely the, the number one um, vector-borne disease in the United States and, and uh, for the world, you know, for that matter. Um, but in addition to Lyme, uh, ticks carry other other pathogens, um, and different ticks carry different pathogens. So, um, you know, the ticks that carry Lyme also carry babesiosis and, and uh, Powassan virus and um, anaplasmosis, and, you know, the ticks that um, are most prevalent here in Colorado carry uh, Colorado tick fever, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, uh, tularemia, um, and, and can cause tick paralysis. Um, and then there's additional ticks that, that can even cause a media allergy with, with a single bite. So, yeah. um, you know, the, the risks are varied, and it depends on, on where you are in the country and, and where you're spending your time, even within a geographic region. Um, but, you know, now that people are, are home, um, a lot of the risk can be in their own backyard. Well, and I think a couple of things we want to really get across to people is, first of all, the severity of the diseases and pathogens you can get from ticks, but also maybe, I don't want to say the lack of awareness in the medical community, but the diagnostics or the way they they get diagnosed has been, to say the least, poor over years because because it wasn't a mainstream type disease. They didn't learn enough about it in medical school. And as the risks have grown and the infections have grown, the recognition in the medical community has been a little slow. And quickly diagnosing something like Lyme disease is so critical to not having lifetime effects, isn't it? Yes, that's, you know, that's the key is early diagnosis and treatment is um, really critical to avoiding long-term uh, chronic or persistent um, symptoms or, or illnesses. And um, unfortunately, the acute phase of, of many of the tick-borne diseases, including Lyme, um, can be very vague and flu-like. Um, and especially in this time with, with COVID-19, people's um, their, their focus may be somewhere else and, and may not get an early diagnosis or even access to care um, at this time. And so being aware, being aware of the symptoms and being aware of the resources in order to get a, um, a diagnosis is really critical. Um, um, could you, are do you mind, unreliable. Yeah. do you mind sharing a little bit of your family's story? Because it's a classic story of what not getting early diagnosis can lead to. Absolutely. You know, I, I was a wildlife biologist my entire career. I spent my time in the woods um, growing up and spent my time in the woods um, as an adult and um, had a lot of exposure to ticks. Um, when I got sick, uh, a tick bite was, was not 
foremost on my mind. In fact, it, it wasn't even a thought. And so because of that lack of awareness um, with, with both myself and, and my physicians, um, I went seven and a half years undiagnosed with, with Lyme disease and multiple other co-infections. And that ended up debilitating me. I, I, I went from being a fully functioning um, member of society with a, a job and, and two children and um, lots of activities, outdoor activities, to being um, bed-bound and couch-bound and suffering from pain and fatigue and cognitive dysfunction uh, to the point, um, you know, I, I had already lost my career and I was basically just fighting for my life. I had you know, I didn't know what was wrong with me, and, and doctor after doctor after doctor could not figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and then once I did get a proper diagnosis, um, you know, the light bulb went off, and, and we had been putting out spot fires with our children um, and even with my husband for years. And once I had my diagnosis, um, we had our, our children tested as well, and my husband tested our entire family was positive for, for Lyme disease and multiple other co-infections. And, um, and it had taken, you know, almost eight years for all of us to get a diagnosis and into treatment um, to kind of reverse or, or work towards wellness again. Um, it was completely and, and devastating. You'll, and you'll probably be in treatment for most of the rest of your life, I believe. You know, there's, it, it's so variable um, among different people. The way people respond, their immune systems respond to infection and um, what they get treated with and how they respond to treatment is so different. I've, I've been in treatment for over six years, going on seven years, and just recently um, have had the opportunity to... Um, try new medicine. Uh, researchers are, are really working hard to come up with better solutions for um, the treatment, especially of persistent um, or chronic disease. And um, I, I can say that I, I definitely um, am feeling better now than I have in a, in a very long time. Um, but some of the damage because of, you know, the untreated disease for so many years um, is not reversible. So, all right, we we have a few minutes left, and I I don't want to spend the whole time just making people afraid to be outside because we want people outside right now. It's therapeutic. We want them to go to the trails. We want them hiking. And I know that your organization is an expert on how to avoid it and then what to do if you think you did get bit by a tick. First of all, what can we do to avoid tick bites? Oh, absolutely. You know, number one is awareness. I mean, just being aware of, of what you're doing and, and taking uh, precautions, um, you know, wearing insect um, repellent specifically for ticks when you're out in the outdoors um, on your skin and then wearing permethrin-treated clothing um, is, is very effective at, at repelling uh, ticks and killing ticks. Um, dressing for the outdoors, um, you know, when it when the weather warms up, a lot of people don't want to wear long sleeves or long pants, but it definitely creates a barrier and allows uh, more time for you to spot a tick before it can get to skin, especially if you're tucking your pants into socks or your uh, shirt into your into your waistband. So ticks have to travel longer before they can reach skin. Um, and if you're wearing permethrin 
treated clothing, uh, the, the ticks will likely fall off uh, by the time you know they they travel very far on your body. Um, you know, I've uh, I've got the permethrin. I've treated my own and bought some treated clothing, and they're good for several washes. And I spend quite a bit of time traveling the world and the regions. And I can tell you, with the permethrin treated clothing, I have gone out walking into fishing or hunting areas with partners and come out where they had several ticks because we always do a tick check. And I know you're going to talk about that. And yeah. I would have zero. I would have zero ticks with the permethrin. It it is. Uh an incredibly effective um, means for, for repelling and killing ticks. Um, and I've heard the same thing um, from, from multiple people that spend time out in the woods and, and research has shown it's, it's a very effective tick repellent. Um, and, what, and are, what, are, repellent. Yeah. what are some of the other repellents you can put on? Just to, Are there ones that normally you would use for mosquitoes and things that also work for ticks? Right. You know, uh, DEET, uh, picaridin, um, IR3535 and lemon eucalyptus oil products um, designed for, for tick repellent um, are, are very effective and are the ones that are, are recommended by the EPA um, now, and CDC. Now when, you're out, now, when you're out on trails, and I'm pushing along because I want to make sure we get this in, when you're out on trails, where, where are some of the areas you should avoid? Where are you likely you know, you could encounter them anywhere and actually any time of the year, but where are you more likely to encounter ticks and have them get on you? Right. The the edges of trails, that, that grassy, shrubby interface between, you know, the at the edge of trails are where ticks like to congregate, um, you know, with hopes that they'll be able to attach to either an animal or a person uh, walking by, um, sitting against logs or sitting against trees and sitting on down logs are, are also risky areas. But um, that, that grassy, shrubby interface and the interface between um, edge habitats, so, you know, lawns and, and forest or um, open areas and, and forests, those are definitely more of the risky areas uh, in the outdoors. Um, now, and, as, we, and, as, we, yeah. as we socially separate, we're going to meet people on trails, we're going to move off of the trail to get more distance between us. That actually could put us closer to ticks, right? It it actually can, and you know when when you're giving that social distance, you've got to remember ticks aren't social distancing, and so where you're you're putting yourself um, can definitely increase your risk of of a tick encounter. Now suppose I and I want to go to the next thing. If I've been in an area where I could have possibly had ticks, what do I do? Either as soon as I get off the trail or as soon as I get home, and then what do I do very quickly if I think I've been bit by a tick? Yeah, you know, e- even before you get into your car, doing a, a a tick check before you get into your vehicle is really important. I've heard story after story after story of, of people driving along and, and finding a tick crawling across their dashboard or on the back of their seat. Um, and so, you know, transport of, of ticks is, is really important to future health, not just your time on the trail, but, um, you know, the ability to bring a tick into your home, and especially if you have pets. Um, pets are great transporters of, of ticks into the home that can put other people at risk. Um, if you find a tick and, and it, you know, unfortunately is embedded, um, doing a proper tick removal as quickly as possible um, definitely reduces chance of, of disease transmission, but it, it doesn't eradicate it. You know, not having a tick bite is the best case scenario, 
but if you have a tick bite, uh, proper removal. So grabbing the tick at the at the um, as close to the skin as possible with fine nose tweezers and pulling straight up um, is the safest way to remove the tick. Now, if you think if you have them bit, should you save that tick for testing? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's not foolproof, but it definitely gives you um, and and your physician. Um, some information. So if you've been bitten by a tick and you do get it tested and the tick is carrying X, Y, or Z disease, then you and your physician have um, some treatment discussion to to talk about. If your tick happens to test negative, it doesn't mean that you haven't been bitten by another tick or that you still couldn't have some disease, but it's another tool in the toolbox for, um, you know, working with your physician to, to make some decisions about treatment. Now, Monica, we're out of time, but give people some uh, areas where, where your organization, where they can go to find out more and get more resources. Yes. We, you know, we're, we're located at, at uh, coloradoticks.org on the webpage and Colorado Ticks um, on Facebook and, and Twitter as well. And, um, you know, we're, we're a, a great resource for information about ticks, about diseases, and, and how to get good treatment um, if you happen to acquire a tick-borne disease or are worried about a tick-borne disease. All right. Well, thank you so much. As always, we ran out of time. We should do a whole hour on this to tell you the I truth. Know, so I know. We so it's appreciate so it, Terry. Yeah. But, Monica, I'm going to put the – I did post up on my, uh, my Facebook page uh, Denver Post article I wrote a couple of years ago about you, and it has the contact information, folks. But ColoradoTix.org, and take this seriously. We want you to get outdoors. We don't want you to be afraid, but we don't want you to complicate what's going on today. Monica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so, so much, Terry. Stay, stay safe. All right, thanks. That's Mon- Monica White from the uh, uh, ColoradoTix.org. Go to that, and get, it's just important information. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Tom Davies from Parks and Wildlife is, I hope, patiently waiting, and he's going to talk to us about big game right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going to go right to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Tom Davies. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You know, I know we're running a little behind, but I'm going to spend plenty of time here. But the tick thing, and you probably know this as well as anything, I think is so important with people trying to get out and use the trails. Um, it's something that sometimes flies way too far under the radar. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, Absolutely, it's, something, yeah. You know, that we, it's something we can prevent. Now, you want to talk about animals a little bigger than ticks, I think. You want to talk about things like uh deer and elk and moose, I believe. And, you know, as we, we see areas developing in the country and we get further, um, we, we, we build further up in the mountains, we build further out into the plains. Uh, people love the outdoors in Colorado. We want to be out. And one of the things that we love is viewing wildlife. And it is one of the treasures of Colorado. But it isn't something that you should be promoting by feeding or baiting those animals, is it? No, it's not. It can cause a lot of problems down the line. What are, what are some you you and I talked earlier and what are some of the most common? Well, first of all, it's illegal to feed feed or attract big game in Colorado using uh, salt licks or bait, is that right? Yes, sir. It's uh it's illegal to attract 
or to feed any wildlife except squirrels and birds, um, which includes deer, elk, moose, bears, lions, foxes, coyotes. And and yet people do because they want to interact with these animals and they want to they want to see them. It's so much fun. But boy, the negative effects. First, the effects it can have on people. You know, one of the most dangerous animals in Colorado is the moose. And you were telling me that you've had um, how many negative uh, calls have you had for people trying to attract moose? Well, we get those calls all the time. Um, it's it's kind of a ongoing thing. I couldn't tell you how many there are. I could tell you that we've had at least a dozen issues with moose caught in swing sets and zip lines and soccer nets and every single time that we've ever had these issues uh, where the problem originated uh, obviously they pick up soccer nets and walk off with them so those are a little tough but when we track down where they started every single one of those issues that we've had has had a salt block in the yard which obviously is attracting those animals in and they're coming in and losing their fear and then they just get their antlers caught up in these things and i can't describe to you how dangerous dangerous of a situation that is for everybody involved well you and i have talked before that if we were on a trail or out in our yard of all the animals in colorado that we probably wouldn't want to have to tangle with a moose is probably the most dangerous and you know bears are pretty timid for the most part attacks are rare mountain lions attacks are extremely rare and you don't usually see them and they'll usually they'll usually move away from you and except under extreme conditions moose on the other hand don't have fear of people or dogs or anything else they stand their ground or attack don't they yeah they most animals have a flight or fight uh, decision to make in any situation. And moose, moose tend to fight. They don't like to run away. There's nothing that's bigger than them. Um, and uh, they have zero fear of humans. So if you get tangled up or caught in a bad place with a moose, um, chances are they're going to stand their ground. And when a, even a, yeah, a big person, 220, 250 pounds, stands up against a 900-pound moose. That's never a good ending. No, you're you're absolutely right. Now we're talking mostly about drawing moose into an area where you live. They're also very dangerous on the trail, but you have to be very cautious of them. But unfortunately, people <clears throat> draw moose and other wildlife in because they they love them. They want to see them. They want to enjoy them. And it usually ends up being detrimental to the wildlife, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And a, a lot of reasons, people, a lot of the reasons that these uh, situations happen, um, up in Summit County, we have a lot of uh, Airbnbs and a lot of rentals. And people put these salt blocks out to take pictures and advertise on their uh, websites and say, hey, look at all these awesome, beautiful wildlife that come into our backyard that you get to see if you rent out my place. No, a lot of those place, a lot of those moose come into those anyway. Um, but uh, attracting them becomes a big issue. Um, 
and we do live in a beautiful place. I many times I've woken up and looking at looked out my uh, front door, back door, side doors, and I have moose eating my plants in my front yard. That's something to be treasured and um, admired, but to try to get them artificially there um, becomes a big problem and very dangerous for you and all your neighbors. And once they attack or have an encounter with a human, they usually have to be euthanized. Uh, yes, it depends on the situation. Um, with moose, if someone gets, well, with any wildlife, if somebody gets hurt, um, by policy, we have to remove that animal. And it's, and it is for a good reason. A lot of people really don't like that policy, but time and time again shows once an animal attacks a person, they quickly learn that if they're aggressive towards people, uh, that's how they solve their situations. Well, we had to put a moose down um, up in Breckenridge recently because it attacked a person um, and put him in the hospital. And uh, and we have to do that just because that that learning that the uh, uh, that the moose is doing of uh, being aggressive solves a problem. It just keeps on getting worse and worse. So we have to act on that. And it's very rarely the animal's fault. Now, Most of the time, in addition, people getting too close. In addition to, you know, the, the, a bad outcome for the animals um, from having to be um, put down or something, anytime you're attracting animals by feeding them or baiting them or salt blocks, there's a lot of other negative things that can come up too, like disease and things, aren't there? Absolutely. If if you're attracting multiple animals into one spot, if one animal that has a has a virus, a disease, something that they can transmit, um, if they're all licking the same salt block, they're putting that disease or virus on the salt block, and all the other animals coming in suddenly have con- contracted that. So you can spread disease very quickly, and some of these diseases. Um, are are very lethal and they can put a huge um, hurt on a population. So not only does it uh, um, dangerous for people, yes, it's dangerous for the populations around it. We had a huge die-off of beavers um, a couple of years ago because of tularemia. Tularemia spread, it's a density-dependent uh, disease. So if one animal gets it, they all get it, and it can wipe a whole population out. Now another, and we've only got a couple minutes left, but another negative to feeding animals in addition to the salt blocks is most people feed them stuff that their systems don't take, and especially this time of year. Some people feel sorry for the animals, and they want them to come through the winter. First of all, how are the animals seeming to winter up where where you are, and how bad is it when people try to feed them? Well, they're up in our area right now. The animals seem to be doing all right, not great because it was a hard late winter. Um, but they seem to be doing, we seem to be doing all right. Um, the the issue with feeding wildlife, we've had deer die with full bellies of corn. People go out and buy a whole bunch of food and feed it to the animals during these hard times. 
their digestive systems aren't designed to switch to a high protein, high calorie diet like that. We have to have this progression of new grasses, their stomach, their, their biomes have to change with that. So when people go out and feed these animals, all these foods, it, their systems can't handle it. And we've had so many animals die with full bellies of food that they just can't digest. So, there's a natural progression that we have that nature has to take. Um, and feeding wildlife is, well, sometimes it can kill the wildlife um, because their systems can't handle it. And sometimes it doesn't do anything except spread disease um, by attracting multiple animals to one area. Now, we're out of time, uh, Tom, but I think that the thing we want to get across is during these times, watching wildlife could be a great therapeutic event. It could be good for us all to see them, whether we're on a trail or whether we're in our own yards. But we have to be careful and we have to abide by what's going on and understand the dynamics. And the biggest message is don't do anything to attract animals and watch them from a distance, right? Absolutely. Enjoy this. Enjoy the animals and the uh, place that you live, but respect it and give it its distance and let it do its natural thing. All right, Tom. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for that message. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. You bet. Tom Davies from Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Jason Clay is going to join us, and we're going to continue about animal interaction. Then we're going to switch gears and get onto a whole bunch of other subjects. We're going to talk about bears who are coming out right now. We have a very robust bear population in Colorado, and we're going to tell you how to interact with them safely right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fans. We are going right back to the phones and joining us another Parks and Wildlife uh, associate is Jason Clay. And we're going to talk about bears. Jason, we've been talking about critters from ticks to moose. And I guess bears fit in there somewhere, don't they? They sure do. And kind of follows along the same lines a little bit that you and Officer Davies were having. His messages was very important. And as we're getting into bear season now, and we start to see bears coming out across the landscape, it's important that people uh, become bear aware again and live appropriately to help keep our bears wild. Well, you're a- absolutely right. And a couple points. First of all, Colorado, Colorado has a very robust bear population, and it's and you will there's a good chance you can see a bear if you spend enough time outdoors. Um, how they react to you in a trail situation. And how they react if they start coming into your yard or property and identifying food items can be totally different, can't it? Absolutely. A a bear out in the wild is is hopefully going to still have its natural instincts and they're going to be naturally fearful of humans. So a lot of times they'll run away before you get the chance to see them because they'll hear or, or smell you coming up. A bear in town in our neighborhoods that's maybe been conditioned to food, um, has been has been habituated. You know that bear very potentially could have lost its fear of human, or it associates people with food because they get rewarded when they get a um, trash from from your yard, when they get a bird feeder, uh, when they get pet food. So uh, very different situations, and you know we all can help to keep our bears wild by not 
having any attractants around our home that habituates them and eventually can lead to a bear's unwarranted death. Well, and we're going to talk more about that in just a second. But one of the things, I think there's kind of a misconception out there. People think, I don't live in bear country. Now, I want to tell you, I live in the foothills of, uh, I'm in Fort Collins. I'm not all the way to the foothills. I'm in a development. Now, I haven't had a bear right in my yard, but I've had one just a few blocks from my house. And I've had fox and deer and squirrels and rabbits and raccoons come through my yard. And I live on a cul-de-sac. You would think never. But a lot of people think, well, I'm not in bear country but bears can penetrate fairly far, especially if there's some open strips, open spaces leading up close to your property. They can come quite into developed areas, can't they? Yeah, absolutely they can. Um, you know, we kind of say appropriate bear habitat is anywhere west of I-25, but each year we see reports of bears on the other side of I-25. We had over 150 reports of bears on the eastern side of I-25 last year. So you're, you're absolutely right. Bears will follow their nose and looking for food. And when they get out kind of more eastern on the trails, they'll continue going, especially if they're having success and being rewarded by food. And, you know, like you were saying in, in your development, you know, and you haven't seen a bear there and, and that's excellent. Um, you yourself, Terry, could be great and not have any attractants out at your house but maybe your neighbor or a house two, door down, two doors down has bird feeders all over, um, and that could draw a bear in. So it takes a community-wide effort. can't just be one individual doing it. It's got to be everyone in the community to help reduce bear conflicts. Now, now, bears have an incredible nose. I want you to tell us how far away can they sometimes smell things, and then let's go through. I know you've mentioned bird feeders and things. Let's go through the types of things that can attract them. But first, how far away can they smell food? Miles away, I believe, up to five miles. Uh-huh. They can. Yeah, detect it that. is miles. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just incredible. So people think, well, you know, I I cover it. Now, let's go through though the things that would attract. Bears are omnivorous. They eat just about anything. We have black bears in Colorado. If you see that big brownish-looking bear, it's just a black bear. Um, we haven't had a grizzly bear sighted here in many, many years. But black bears, well, grizzlies are probably more dangerous in the outcountry. But black bears, because they habituate to human food so readily, are probably account for more bear attacks once they get habituated to food. So tell me the things that would attract bears. What things do I have to make sure I'm cautious of? Well, we can go off of our 2019 report data that we saw and and tracking what are those attractants that bears. So last year we had about 5,400 bear reports into us, and one-third of those involved bears and trash. So simple steps that you can take to secure your trash is, one, only put it out on the morning of collection. Um, Or if you live in more rural areas, you know, keep your trash in a secure enclosure that a bear can't get into. A bear can smell that, you know, there's food sources in your home, in your garage, whatever. So have it a secure enclosure. Uh, another huge food source or attractant for bears is bird feeders. Uh, bird feeders should not be put out really anytime from March until past Thanksgiving. And, and that's a, an easy, easy food reward for a bear. Because um, bears want to spend the least amount of effort to get the most calories. Um, so bird feed is another one. Other sources that we get um, can fall along the lines of it's a natural food source for bears and our fruit trees. 
So if I have an apple tree in my backyard, I want to be sure that I pick up fallen fruit. I want to pick the ripe fruit uh, because, yes, apples are are great and natural food source for bears, but that does not mean that they should be eating from my apple tree 10 yards from where my kids play outside. Um, Some other simple attractants, uh, chicken coops, uh, beehives, you want to secure and even electrify those so a bear can't get in, all of your livestock stock feed, pet food, keep your barbecue grills cleaned, um, and secure your dwellings. If my garage is left wide open and I have a freezer full of food in there, bears going to go in there and get it. So that's a little bit of the attractants that we see. Well, and I, you and I were sharing some some numbers earlier, and you reported that out of, what, 52 or 5,400, a third of them were in trash. But I think you told me, and these were just numbers off the top of your head, so you may have more correct numbers, but I think you said like 400 of the bear incursions were because of bird feeders. I don't think people understand the number of calories in a bird feeder full of seed is thousands. And the other 400 bears were uh, incidents were due to bird feeders. And 500 or more actually broke into dwellings. Is that right? Yeah. 517 was a number that we had last year and another th- over just over 300 of bears broke into cars. And you can imagine the damage one that comes from that, but think of the, the situation that it takes a bear to get that. So a bear is going to be fearful of humans, a natural uh, bear that hasn't been habituated. They go through step one and they get a bird feeder or they get trash. So they learn to associate people with food and homes that I can get rewarded so then they become brave enough to break in to your home to get into your fridge, um, and that creates a very dangerous situation. And, and that's really the number one cause of why we would have to put bears down is bears that have broken into homes, and it's a learned behavior. They're going to continue to do that. And that's we saw an attack last year uh, be, on a person inside a home because of that. So if you just take some simple steps to secure all trackings around your home, you can do a great amount of good to help keep our bears wild. Now, if I do everything right, but I still, a bear, because they could be wandering around, whether I live in the developed area or out in the mountains or the foothills or even the prairie, if a bear does come to on my property or nearby, how should I react? What should I do? Yeah, you should do yourself and that bear a favor and do everything you can to haze it away. Um, You know, we suggest that people blow an air horn. You can bang pots and pans, set off the panic button on your your cars. So do anything you can to get that bear to go away. And what you want to do is just reinforce with that bear that it associates humans with a negative experience. Um, So those are some simple things that you can do um, immediately if you see a bear rolling around your home. And, and it's, you know, you mentioned before that it's a community effort. Now, we don't want people going and arguing with their neighbors. But, you know, if you've got a good relation with your neighbors and they're putting stuff out, and when you're in an area where you think bears could easily be attracted, at least talk to them. Make them aware. Send them to the Parks and Wildlife has a page on this, I believe. Is that right? We have pages of, of lots of information on how to uh, bear-proof your home. Uh, get to know your local wildlife officers. You know, they could come out and do a site visit at your home and, and provide pointers. We have our wildlife officers that go and talk to uh, community meetings, our HOAs all the time. 
Um, so uh, we have a lot of resources, and again, we encourage you to, to use us as one of those resources to help you around your home if you're having any bear issues. All right. Well, thank you, and we've uh, spent a lot of time talking about animal interaction this morning, but people just want to get outside. I think it's important we get outside, whether it's in their own yards, uh, they're grilling and barbecuing, whether it's watching birds and squirrels, and I think it's therapeutic. We don't want to discourage that. We just want to make sure everybody's doing it in a way that we can enjoy it without creating other issues. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. You bet. That's Jason Clay from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. When I come back, i got a few things I want to go over about some of the things going on with the covid Then we're going to talk turkey hunting and fishing for a while after that and get us outdoors and and really start enjoying it right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, a little dire straits to get us, uh, get our heartbeat going, get us upbeat, you know. You know, I've been watching some of the music stuff on TV and and I've been uh, big into music myself over the years and just love what music music does for our attitude and everything. And so does getting outdoors, by the way, we have a lot more coming up on today's show. Um, Nate Salinsky is going to join us at the top of the hour. We're going to talk turkey hunting. And then uh, the Blue Quill Angler folks are going to join us. We're going to talk fly fishing. Brad Peterson is going to join us, and we'll talk some uh, just every day, getting out fishing the ponds and things like that. And we just got a lot more to talk about. So I know we covered a lot of uh, animal interaction, including the ticks for this hour so far, but it's been uh, I think it's been important stuff. We want people to get outdoors. I want to talk a little bit about our partners. You know, the people that uh, are partners to this show are why we're able to bring you this information. And they've been tremendous about supporting us during this time. And it's a very difficult time for them. And we want hope that you will continue to support, support them. Uh, one of those partners uh, that we do a Thursday night report for is Sun Power Sports. I do, uh, if you want to tune in, I believe it airs around 6 o'clock. I tape it on uh, either Wednesday morning or Thursday morning. And uh, Sun Power Sports brings us that, and they've been a partner to this show for a long time, uh, both on the air and on our reports and as a, a sponsor. And uh, we want you to know they're open. Uh, you can't just show up and buy uh, an ATV, but you can get a hold of them by phone, or you can go on their website or their Facebook page, just Google them, Sun Power Sports. And they can arrange to have uh, deliveries brought to you and ATVs and and side-by-side. So they're really trying to take care of people, but doing it in a very socially responsible manner. In addition, their service department is open, and it's open to the public because all service departments for almost all organizations are exempt. So really want you to support folks like Sun Power Sports who are supporting us during this time. If you've been thinking about getting an ATV or if you have an ATV or a motorcycle, that need service, uh, go on their website and give them, or give them a call and talk to them, and I'm sure that they'll do everything in their power to uh, take care of you. Now, uh, as far as being socially responsible, too, I want to talk a little bit, uh, and I'll talk more about some other things later in the end of the next hour, but one of the things, boating. You know, boating is open at a lot of places now. In fact, the majority of our state and local parks are open for boating, and so I talked to one of the parks and asked them how the inspectors are dealing with uh, interacting with a lot of people because it's putting them, obviously, in exposure. So they gave me some guidelines. Now, these may not be universal guidelines, 
but they are the guidelines that this park is operating by, and they seem like very good guidelines. They went, first of all, they want all visitors to remain in their vehicle. When you pull up, have your boat ready to be inspected. Don't stop where the inspector is. Stop ahead of time, take covers off, have it ready, and stay in your vehicle. If you are asked to get out, remain six feet away and just one person get out. Don't expose more people. So one person should get out. And uh, they'll try to, um, if you have a seal or they have a document they want, they'll show it to you through the windows or you can show them. And then when they're done, they can clip a document under your windshield so you can take it out after they're gone. We just want you to be very social, socially responsible and do that. Another thing I want to mention is, uh, boat landing etiquette. Don't crowd boat landings and line up close to each other. Um, it's going to cause issues, folks, because eventually, if we don't do this properly, they could shut down our access to boating for a long time this summer. And we want people to get out there and enjoy it. Uh, and and then if you're if you're showing up with six or eight people to go out in a boat, and all of those people don't live in your residence, you're violating the stay-at-home rules. And people are going to begin to take notice of that. Now, as boating increases, it's very difficult or almost impossible to socially separate in a boat. Uh, so the people that are in the boat with you have to be residents with you, I would think. Now, that's my opinion. I don't think anybody's checking that. I don't know of anybody cracking down on it. But as we get more and more people out there, if we don't follow the rules, we're going to lose our right to boat. So please, go, just be sensible. Do the right thing so we can all enjoy the outdoors for the rest of this uh, rest of this summer. We're going to take a quick time out. Nate Zielinski is going to join us, and we're going to talk turkey hunting right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.